Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. Command and teach these things. Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Grace be with you all. Well, if you were here last week, the book of Timothy, we're coming to an end, and last week Paul just kind of partially concluded the book, and we're going to see he kind of wasn't done, and he's going to tack some more stuff on, and it wasn't like, oh, let me think of a few more things here to say, but it was definitely a climax of the book that he was just giving this incredible doxology to God and speaking of God's greatness, his kingship, his sovereignty. And so as we come to this point where the book is ending, he's going to kind of backtrack and talk about some stuff he's already talked about, but it's intentional. I'm going to tell you why in a minute. But before we just move past what we talked about last week, I'm going to ask you how you're doing with the application of that. It was kind of cool. One of my fight clubs, we sit down uh, for lunch together, and the guy who prayed, you could just tell he put way more thought and intention into what he was saying than he normally would do. And I saw that in our home as well. And I hope you did in your own prayer life and in your home. If you weren't here, the application for this incredible just reference to who God is and, and his incredible power and greatness is remember who we're talking to. And most of us, we pray over the mills. So why just do a mindless prayer to God? Take that opportunity to really engage with your creator. And so it's an opportunity that you already have built into your daily flow and your daily life. You don't have to do something different. Just be intentional about what you're already doing. And so I hope you'll continue to live out that application. It'll make a world of difference. So today we're finishing up the book. We're going to be in chapter 6, verses 17 through 21. And I'm going to start off by reading just verses 17 through 19, and then we'll finish the last two verses in a few minutes. Let's read this together. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Let's pray, and we'll look at this passage. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the book of 1 Timothy, and how that, as Paul wrote to Timothy so many years ago under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that these truths are every bit as relevant and important to us today as they were to Timothy. And God, I pray that you will help us to not be just hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word today in an area that can be very, bring about very much tension in our lives. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit that you've given each believer in here to give honest and real practical application to the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 
When I was a kid, maybe high school age, I don't remember for sure, there was a show that sometimes I would watch probably without my parents' approval on TV, and it was called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Anybody ever seen the show Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous? Uh, some guy named Leach was his last name, I remember that. He was the host to the show, and it was pretty amazing. You'd watch these celebrities or uh, you know, well-known athletes, socialites, uh, well-known businessmen, and you would kind of get an inside glance into like the world they live in. I mean, amazing yachts, homes that just were just hard to imagine somebody would need that much space. And it was really, you know, intriguing. You know, you see, you know, Lamborghinis and Ferraris and all these amazing vehicles. And you, and as a kid, it'd be really easy to get sucked into that materialism and say, man, I hope one day I can be rich like that. I'm sure there are many, many of you who would probably not want to admit that that inspired you to maybe at one point, like, I'm going to make a lot of money. And we look at the show, shows like that, and we see people who are filthy rich, and we say, okay, they're the rich people. But as we come to this passage today, we need to settle something right off the bat, okay? Nearly everyone in here is rich. Nearly everyone in here can take what Paul is saying to Timothy and apply it directly to your life because by the world standards, we all are rich. We may not be filthy rich, but we're rich. If you earn more than $50,000 a year annually, you're in the top 1%. Top 1% of the world's income earners. The top 1%. If you have more than $500,000 in assets, you're part of the richest 1% of the world. $500,000 in assets. Doesn't take a lot. And then you're probably, some of you are thinking, well, not me, so I can check out because I don't meet either one of those criteria. Okay, well, if you earn more than $25,000 or more annually, you're in the top 10% of the income earners of the world. So any way you want to slice it up, we are some of the most privileged people when it comes to what we're capable of earning and doing compared to any time in history, people around the world. And so Paul's going to return to this topic of money, just as he talked about earlier in this chapter. And what's he doing? Why does he go money, talks about other stuff, comes back to money? Well, I think there is definitely a reason for this. The passage that we ended on last week on God's sovereignty, his greatness, his kingship, and then he switches over to money. What's he doing there? I think it may seem abrupt, but it's not. He's saying this king owns everything. So you rich people in Ephesus, and us today, you, you people who have a lot of wealth, you need to remember where this wealth came from. You need to know that God gave us all that we have. And so there was a reason for Paul jumping into this after finishing off the way that he did. Now, in this earlier section of chapter 6, Paul was talking to people who desired to be rich, but kind of now he turns it to those who are rich. If, if you think back to verse 10 of chapter 6, I think it may be on the screen. It says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving, this desiring to have it, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So those people who were aspiring to be wealthy and the, the rich, he cautioned them greatly about the love for money. But now he's focusing on those of us who are rich, those of us who have a lot at our disposal. And the thing is with this topic, it's easy not to take this seriously. And it's easy to think that we're not really in danger. 
Um, if you've ever been in here for when we set up the gym and tear down the gym, and those of you, thank you, by the way, those who come in early on Sunday morning to help, I mean, wow, what a, a blessing. Thank you so much. But we have this ladder, and it's actually a huge ladder if you extend it all the way, and you can get all the way to the top of the ceiling, which all our wives, like, caution us, don't do that, okay? Mitch has to do that more than anybody else probably in here, Jeremy as well, too. But a lot of times, I'll, we'll, this ladder is extended about to the top of that screen, and I will climb up, or one of the guys will climb up to the top of that, and we will, with our left hand, we'll take the screen off the hooks to lower it down, and then what you'd have to do, if, if you have to come down the ladder and then go up the other side, and I'm sorry, do that with your right hand, then grab the curtain and pull it in so it's nice into the corner. Well, one day I was up on the ladder and I thought, you know, I can save myself a trip up this ladder. All I need to do is, I'm on the one side, I'm lowering the screen, I got to get to the other side of the ladder, so all I'm going to do is, just I'm going to step across the ladder to the other side, and that way I'm where I'm supposed to be, don't have to go down and back up again, makes sense, right? And it's so easy to forget that I'm 15, 16 feet off the ground. And fortunately, don't worry, I didn't fall, okay? But I did this a few weeks in a row, and then I thought, you know, this is not, not smart. It's, it's not smart. Even though I feel confident that I can do this, all right, I feel confident that I still have that agility, it's not worth the risk because I forget, and all of us do this. We have a tendency that we forget the danger that we're in until something bad happens. And that's exactly what I did. And when it comes to wealth, I think that's what we do. It's so accessible to us, materialism is so around us, that we lose sight of the danger that it brings to us, especially the danger of us, those of us who want to serve Jesus and represent him. So there's great inherent danger with materialism. So let's define materialism before we jump into this passage. Materialism means the preoccupation with material things. The preoccupation with material things. And what Paul is going to tell us rich people today in this passage is the antidote to materialism is extravagant giving. The antidote to fighting materialism is extravagant giving. And so think back to the show, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Well, what about Lifestyles of the Rich and Generous? If Somebody followed you around with a camera. Hey, you're a Jesus follower. Let's look at your life. Would they see generosity or would they see materialism? Because we definitely meet the first criteria. We're rich, but are we generous with our money? And so as he jumps into this, this passage, he deals with money. He goes back. He talks about fighting the fight of faith. He returns to materialism, and here's why. Because it takes great faith to fight this fight. Because it's so difficult. And he told us in verse 6 of this chapter that godliness with contentment is great gain, but we had to fight for this contentment in God. It doesn't come naturally. It just doesn't unload on you when you become a believer. You had to fight for contentment in God and fight the good fight of faith. And so he returns here and he says in verse 17, As for you rich in this present age, I charge you not to be haughty, not to be haughty. So clearly there were many wealthy people in Ephesus. It was a place in the ancient world that had great deal of wealth. It was a city where a lot of wealth came through, a lot of people made a lot of money, 
and they were very prosperous. And so he's writing to people in this church, and he's saying, Timothy, okay, I know you're young. I know you're intimidated. I know people are looking down on you. you got a lot to do here, but here's what I want you to do, Timothy. I want you to tell the rich people in your church not to be full of pride. All right? So another hard thing that Timothy has to do as pastor, he has to tell the rich people, don't be puffed up. Don't be stuck up on yourself because you have wealth. Because wealth tricks us into making us think that we have superior value over others. It does. If you've ever been on a mission trip, you know sometimes the tendency when you get there is to think that you're a little better, a little smarter than the people around you because you have more. And if they could just get with it, then they could do it as well. Or you see the homeless guy on the street with a sign and you think, what did that guy do to end up here? And you have this air of superiority. I do too. So much of the time I had to fight. Because when we have things, it gives us this idea that I'm better than the other person, even though we might not want to admit that to ourselves. Other ways of being haughty. It's just you throw your weight around because you have wealth and influence. And I'm sure this was happening in the church of Ephesus, just like it happens in the church today. People who have a big bank account think that they should have more influence, more say-so, on what happens in a church. I will tell you a little side note here. One of the things I think is great about the culture of grace is our pastors have no clue what you give in the offering plate, okay? Unless you lay the check right on the desk and we walk in and actually see it, we don't know. And that's great because it protects us from the tendency to treat people who give better than those who may not give as much. It treats us what James warns that don't show preference to the guy who comes in with a gold ring and fancy clothes and then the person who's shabby and, and maybe homeless, and you treat them with disrespect, and, you know, we don't want you around here. And so it's a precaution. It, it, it's set in place to protect us from ourselves. And you may think, well, you're, we think you should be godly enough that you should be able to handle this. Sorry, there's some things that you should just run away from. And this is one of the things that Paul says to run away from, this attitude that we can get sucked into that money e- equals influence and makes people more important. And so Paul's telling Timothy, you need to caution the church. And then there are some people in our day and age who even think that having more equals God's greater blessing on their life. So the more I have, the more blessing I have from God. And so by that logic, you know, Bill Gates or somebody would be the most blessed person on earth. And we know that's not the case. And so having more doesn't necessarily mean greater blessing. In fact, it could be the opposite oftentimes. But Paul wants us to recognize, us rich people, that everything that we have comes from God. And the first step of dealing with this danger of wealth that we are so often just right on the edge, and I think I can handle this, right on the edge, the first thing to do is to talk to him and admit the fact that you are probably, it could be already deceived by this danger. That there's places in your life where you're blind and you don't realize because you're so used to it, the danger that one misstep could result in in this area. And, and a lot of times we think it's not a big deal because it's just, oh, lack of trust in God. What's the big deal about that? Well, the big deal about that is, as Brian said, starting his week, God, what's ahead of me for the week? When we don't have trust in God, then it's what's ahead for me for me, not what's ahead for me for you. And so when we take our eyes off of God and put them on ourselves, the whole week is used up on our self-interest rather than what God has called us to do is to intersect in people's lives, share the gospel, give glory to him, and enjoy him. And there's no joy in saying, this life for me. The joy is in this life for you.
this life for you. So God is the only one who can give us that grace to see and give us the eyes that we can recognize and the hearts are willing to confess this draw that we have and this love we have for materialism more than we do God. And so we need to realize the closer we get to God, the more that we'll hate these sins that he points out to us. Why? Because nothing is more unlike God than sin. And so they had this pride and this arrogance, this superiority, and and he's telling them, just run away from that. And then the second thing he says, to get away from, confront this self-centeredness that is connected to it. Look at verse 17 again. He says, these people who are rich, he says, tell them not to put their hopes or set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. So Paul is concerned here not just that the rich have this air of superiority, but they're placing all this hope in themselves and what they acquired rather than putting it on God. And so we do the same thing. We find our self-worth on what we own. It started off when we were teenagers, guys, right? The kind of car that we drove we could afford to get and drive, that was our identity. That's our self-worth. We find our worth in having stuff and setting this certain image out to the world, And the same thing was true in Paul's days. They wanted to set their hopes, their worth, their value on what they owned, what they had, what they possessed. And and Paul remarks, look, stupid. Uncertainty of riches. Riches are so uncertain. I heard somebody say this the other day, and verify it, that nearly every American is only four months away from being homeless. Four months away from being homeless if the income is cut off. And that's a good thing to remember because we think we're self-made and we can do this and, and, and our resilience and we're smart. But you don't know. The world is an uncertain place and riches are very, very uncertain. And so we don't see that. And we don't recognize it. And sometimes it can result in the fact that when we do see it, we have the opposite reaction, which is to hoard, to save for the, you know, the rainy day, the, the bad day, and again, we're placing our hopes on ourselves and not on God. I read this from Crown Ministries, which is a ministry that helps people deal with finances. It says, in counseling people about biblical financial practices for decades, how we use our money, they come to this conclusion, they've seen this, how we use our money is almost always the last thing people surrender to God. How we use our money is almost the last thing people surrender to God. And I know that's definitely been true in my life, that I can focus in a lot of other areas of sanctification, but, you know, sometimes I'm just cautious here. You know, I can't really afford to do that or give. And God wants us to be generous what we have and not not be so worried about, you know, i got to figure this out for myself. God says, trust me, give us this day our daily bread. And that's not the way we have to live for sure but it still should be the same attitude of dependence. And so he says, not just run away from something, he says to run to God. Look, but as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes, not their worth on this uncertainty of riches, but to set it upon God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. I love that. He says, set it on God, And he's the one who's blessed you and given you the stuff to enjoy. So nowhere in Scripture do you see wealth in itself condemned. It's our attitudes toward wealth, how we use our wealth. And the problem is that we want, as the song early on said, we want more of the gifts than the giver. We don't want God. And he says, you got to be your focus right here. you got to set your hopes on God 
And he's going to take care of you. He'll provide you with what you need, and then some a lot of times. We look to the cross. Heart change happens in this area when we see Jesus and see the generosity that he had by pouring his life out, and then we can give because he gave. We love because he first loved us. And he says, our Father richly provides. God's a loving Father. You know, we talked about this a few weeks ago, how our view of God can really influence our response to God. Well, look what this verse says. It says God is a loving Father. He, he loves to give his children what they need, and he delights in giving us other good things in life. But again, we cannot allow our love to be for the gift rather than the giver of the gift. And that's the heart check that we have to have. Think about it this way when it comes to what you own and what you have. Every day I probably, at least some point in the day, I'll say something like this, I need to go back to my office. Or, hey, yeah, you can use my computer. Or, yeah, it's over there on my desk. All right? Let me tell you something for a second, all right? First of all, that's not my office, all right? It's been loaned to me by Grace Church. It's not my computer. Grace Church bought me that computer to use so I can do my job the best that I can. It's not my desk. So we use that language, and it's okay, but in our minds, we know at the end of the day, it's not my stuff. We do the same thing to our house, and we got to apply that to, to our house as well. My house. And God says... It's on loan. My car. Yeah, I'm letting you use that. Enjoy that. Use it for my good. My bank account. So we use those words, and it's okay, as long as we remember. At the end of the day, it ain't my office. It ain't my computer. It's not my desk. I hold it loosely. It's on loan from God. God has allowed us to enjoy these things, and he's used it to equip you just like you know, my computer and my office is to equip me to be pastor of this church. Your home, your car, your bank account is used to equip you to do your ministry. Does that make sense? If we think of it that way, it changes everything. And then, verse 18, the rich are commanded to be rich, but they're to be commanded to be rich in good works. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Look at this. The rich are to do good. Just do good. I, I love this. And again, uh, uh, Jeremy pointed something out the other day when he preached, and I thought it was really good. He gave you a resource, a tool for like digging deeper and studying. I want to give you one, and it's in the app today. Because when the pastors, when Roy or Jeremy or Mitch or I up here, and we say, in the original language, in the Greek, uh, blah, 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 you know, you may think we're really smart, but you know what? We just know where to go and how to study, okay? All right. The Greek word here, do good, is just one word, okay? One word, and it's only found one other place in Scripture. And that's in the book of Acts, chapter 14, verse 17. It's in your app if you're following along. And what I love about this is that the verse is referenced to God showering down rain and providing this great harvest so people would have plenty of food to eat and their hearts would be filled with joy. If you go back and read the verse, that's exactly what it's saying. He, he, God wants to give them these things so they're full of joy. Full of joy. And he's saying for the rich people, do good. Just be generous with your stuff. Because it's not yours in the first place. And I've given it to you on loan. Just 
Just be generous with it. And it will protect you. It will safeguard you from a, a lifestyle that says, God, I don't need you. I got what I want and what I need. And so I provided that link. It's called Net Bible. It's a great tool for you to use. So many resources there. So again, let me say it. The antidote that counters or neutralizes the effect of wealth and, and materialism is extravagant giving. And he says, I want you rich people just to be extravagant and giving and good works and sharing. Sharing with those in need. You know, I dare say that while probably I can't think of anybody here I would put in the category as filthy rich, there are definitely many of you in here who could part with pretty large sums of money and never even miss it. You could give and really not even notice that it's gone. Others, not so much. I want to challenge those who are really honestly, if you, if you really are honest with yourself, you know that's true of a couple of things. I have a friend up in Newark. Many of you have met him. His name's Ray Dash. And Ray is a pastor of a church called the Rock Bible Fellowship. And I love Ray because Ray has planted his home, his family, his church, right in the middle of the area where he is ministering. I mean, he is like on the streets ministering. His home is right there on the property. And trust me, I mean, this guy grew up in the suburbs of the area. I mean, well, lived in the suburbs. Didn't grow up there, but lived in the suburbs and moved to this area because he realized this is where he needed to be. Well, the churches, he had, he had a few churches who were really large supporters of his ministry. And I had mentioned this some months ago. There was a, a possibility, there was a risk that Ray could lose some huge donations, some huge monthly givers. Well, he told me a couple days ago that he lost one that was $1,200 a month. $1,200 a month. That's pretty significant. And I was just thinking, you know, there's somebody here that could say, you know, I'm going to help make up for that loss. And I won't, honestly, I won't miss it. You know, I'm saving a lot of money. God's been good through me through this COVID-19 crisis. I can just gift Ray a bunch of money. And honestly, it's going to do a lot more good than it will in my bank account. That's what Scripture is telling the rich. Look at your money. What do you need versus what do you want? What do you have versus what are you hoarding? And look and see if you can help. I love this story. I may have shared this at some point along the way, but there's a pastor named Francis Chan, and he was a pastor in Simi Valley, California. And Simi Valley is a very, very wealthy area of California. And he was pastoring there, and he was very frustrated because he said there's people with, with great wealth in his church, and they're, you know, using the calculator to calculate the exact percentage, and here's what I'm giving to the church, you know, and, and, and I've and I got to use the other on myself. And, and they were very stingy, even though they were big givers. And he said, God, I just don't understand this. He said, I don't understand why these people who have so much disposable income and extra income, why they can't give more to, to causes that need to be met and needs that need to be met. And he said, God, I'm, I'm going to step out on a limb here. I've never done this before, but God, I'm asking you to make me rich. He said, I know it sounds crazy, but God, make me rich because I will be that person that I'm being critical of right now, that person who won't be generous. Well, God answered his prayer. He wrote this book called Crazy Love. First year, made a million dollars. Second year, made two million dollars. 
went on to sell a million copies of this book. He gave it all away. He set up a, a nonprofit, and all the proceeds of the book went to this. He moved it from his house that was larger to an area, kind of like Ray, into the area where he was ministering at that church. And then he eventually uprooted from there and went to San Francisco and lived in the projects to minister and serve and, and start churches. And then recently he's moved to the poorest area of Hong Kong to minister. And if you know anything about the news right now, what's going on, Hong Kong's not a good place to be. And I, and I love that. He said, if you give me the wealth, I'm going to use it for your kingdom first. That's what God is challenging us as rich people to do. And then verse 19, Paul gets straight to the motive for why we should do this. He says, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So I think Paul is just reminded of the words of Jesus himself when Jesus said, don't lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, I mean on earth, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So he's saying, look where you're putting your emphasis. That's where your heart really is. And I think Paul, as he pens these words, the words of Jesus are right there on his mind. And so we fight this fight of faith to walk by faith and not by sight. Many of you know that I reference New Morning Mercies a lot because I love this little devotion book. And does anybody not have this book that would like to have it because I talk about it so much you would like to be reading and anybody would raise your hand, swallow your pride and say, I'll read it. All right, Janet's yours. Come and get it afterwards. Um, I, this quote, every week, I mean, just this amazing quote, and this is going to be on the screen for you to follow along. He says, You've read the final chapter, and you know how God's grand story is going to end. So you get up every morning and give yourself to doing the things that God says are good, because you know that if grace has put eternity in your future, there's nothing that you could ever do in God's name that is in vain. I love that. Just get up every morning, do good. Rich people, you and I, let's just do good. Be rich in good works. Why? Because we want to lay up our treasures. If our faith is there, that we know truly that, it, that what Jesus said is true, lay up your, for yourself treasures in heaven, not on this earth, because on this earth, things are going to rust and corrode and fade and go away. They're not permanent. They're deceitful. He says, put your emphasis in heaven. And then the second thing he says, he says, we need to be focused not only on eternal life, but we also need to be focused on the fact that, look at the end of the verse, for, um, uh, he says, for, that you may take hold of that which is truly life. Take hold of that which is truly life. And Jesus here, or, or Paul here isn't emphasizing or saying that we earn our salvation and we work and we give away so we earn salvation. It's not at all what he's saying. I think, again, he's thinking back to the words of Jesus. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. He's saying if you get your mindset off on materialism, he said you could be sorely deceived even about your salvation, even about your hope in the future because you're all about what's in front of you and you really don't care about the kingdom. And so there's caution after caution in Scripture about the dangers of wealth and materialism. Again, Paul doesn't say go and sell everything you have and, and be poor. He doesn't say that. He says, know that God gave it to you 
Be generous. Be good with it. Share extravagantly. The only riches that will survive this world, do you believe this, are the investments that we make for eternity. The only riches that survive are those we make for eternity. And then we get to the final two verses, and we'll quickly touch on these. Paul moves to closing out the letter to Pastor Timothy, young Pastor Timothy. And he reminds him about what it's all been about from the beginning, the gospel. He says, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Timothy, you've been given the gospel. You've been given the spiritual gifts you need to pastor this church to make an impact for the kingdom. I've told you a lot of things along the way in this letter, Timothy. Guard it. And he comes full circle back to what he said in chapter 1. Guard the deposit. Because truth was under such attack. And people, as verse 20 says, he says they were just this babbling. And, and these things were going on. These contradictions and this knowledge. And it says by professing this, these things, these people who thought they had this higher knowledge and they were substituting the gospel for this other junk. He's saying they've swerved from the faith. They've literally, literally moved from being what God said is the gospel. He says, guard the deposit. We talked about this as well. Timothy, fight for the faith. Endure to the end. Persevere to the end. And our perseverance to the end proves that our salvation is true. But riches are a great danger, Timothy. You remember he even warned Timothy, the false teachers were even selling their knowledge for the right price, getting rich off their preaching and teaching. Timothy was to run and flee from that. And then he finishes, Timothy, grace be with you, and for the whole congregation. Timothy, grace be with you as you guard, as you fight, as you run, as you pursue, as you remain, as you hold fast, as you pray, as you act above reproof, as you set an example, as you immerse yourself, as you keep a close watch on yourself, as you teach and urge others. Grace to you. Grace to you, Timothy. All these things that I just laid out, all these imperatives that are built upon the gospel, Timothy, grace, the grace of God is what allows you to do all these things. And if we're going to be the church that God's called us to be, it's all His grace. It's all grace when you let go of the tight grip that you have on your stuff and say, God, I realize it's on loan from you. It's all yours. One of the significant passages in this book was the passage that talked to our church leaders. Because everything rises and falls ultimately on leadership. It does. That's not just a Christian principle. That's a principle in general. And it's true for elders and deacons, and he talked a great deal about that. Well, today, we have the privilege of ordaining Sean Johnson as an elder here at Grace Church. And I can tell you, from talking to Sean and reading his testimony, hearing from Mandy... This guy loves Jesus, and he wants to be a great and humble leader for this congregation. And what I love about Sean is he understands the weight of this job. And I think it's a perfect ending 
for the book of Timothy. Because some of you may not think Sean's young, but he's young in my, in, from my standpoint. He's young compared to even Bible times. He's probably about the age that Timothy was. And there's a lot of things that pull at our attention. There's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of worldliness. There's a lot of materialism that's so easy to fall into. And if he is going to be a good leader here, he needs your prayers. He needs your support. He needs your encouragement. But the most important thing he needs is a real and personal relationship with God that's always consistent and ongoing. So lift him up. I'm going to invite him up here today and Mandy both and just sit right here in the middle and I'm going to ask our elders to come up. And ordination is just a time like Timothy where they laid hands on Timothy and set him apart for ministry. And that's all we're doing is recognizing what you, the church, has already affirmed. Just right there, have a seat where people can come up behind you. What the church has already affirmed, what you've affirmed, when you approved him overwhelmingly for this job as elder. So I ask our elders to come up here and just put your hands on them. And we're going to pray a prayer, just a dedication. And ask our staff, jump in here as well. Sean, I'm really proud of you, man. Some of you know a few years ago, how, many, how long has it been, Sean? Your mom? How much? Six years ago, his mom tragically passed away. And it's been a, been a really tough thing for him. Pray for his dad. Pray for him to encourage his family. Some of you know better than I do the, the details there. And just asking God just to work and do supernatural things through Sean. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for Sean, and I thank you for Mandy, and I thank you for Colton and Levi. And God, I, I've seen this guy from when he was in high school to now ordaining him as an elder. And with these men, just with their hands on Sean right now, it's just a, an incredible reminder of the seriousness of what we do, that this is truly a spiritual battle. And we're fighting for joy. We're fighting for Jesus. We're fighting for faith. And I pray Sean and Mandy will be faithful day in and day out to be in your word and seek you as their strength for the incredible ministry that you've called them to do here at Grace and in their jobs. God, I pray that you will just humble them and allow them to see their constant need for you, that if anything good is going to come out of their life for eternity, it has to be you working through them. And God, I pray for our church body that we will truly be an encouragement to Sean and Mandy. God, I pray that we'll lift him up and the other elders as they lead this congregation. God, we need you to remind us daily of the seriousness of our task. And God, I pray that you will do that. God, we just love this family. And we thank you for the many great uh, things that you're going to do in advance. In the powerful name of Jesus. Stay right there. You guys can have a seat. Just real quick, just close this up. Head, heart, and hands. If you guys will put it on the screen for me. God has given you a great deal. He really has. Where is God convicting you today? Talk to him. Let him change your heart. Confess the tendency you have just to walk carelessly with wealth. 
and not even think about it. And then I challenge you, just from an application, just give something away today. Just today. Not tomorrow or not the next week. Today. Let's just act on it and just be generous. In the app, I listed four or so ministries that you can just click on and boom, you can give. If you don't know how to give online, there's a box here you can give to Grace Church. There's many. If you pray and say, God, show me a need today to meet, I bet you he'll show you a need to meet today. This is not about feeling better about yourself. I did something good today. I earned a credit with God. No, let the Holy Spirit be your guide. Give intentionally and specifically. But even if you can only give $5, just step out in faith and be generous because we're rich and we need God to change our hearts. Let me close in prayer as the band comes up. God, we thank you again for the book of Timothy. First Timothy, this letter that was written on how to have a real church, a church that honors you, to live for your glory, and we find great joy in investing in the internal instead of hoarding for the temporary that's going to fade away. God, help us to be a, a church known, as we sang, for the power of the Spirit that's working through us. Again, we thank you for Sean and Mandy, Colton and Levi. God, I pray this family will be lights for you, ambassadors for your kingdom in the school system, Mandy here at Grace, in their home life, in their community, and to their family. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.